Go cashless with the TFI Go app from Transport for Ireland. No longer will you have to turn to the couch, the wishing well of the living room, to dig through your nephew's crisps and old TV remotes in search of emergency bus fare. Now you can buy your ticket for Dublin-Kildare commuter routes operated by Go Ahead Ireland direct from your phone. Simply download the TFI Go app, available for Android and iPhone. T's and C's apply, visit transportforireland.ie. During that game in Munich last week, I got a text off one of Pogba's family and it just said, different animal. You know, Mancini has wanted everyone to have fun, you know. For the best Euro 2020 coverage, download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Black box car insurance lets young drivers bounce past high cost premiums. Drive safe and save more with GetSetGo.ie. All right, episode seven of the Football Pod. Paddy Andrews is here. Andy Moran is here. How are you doing, lads? All's good, Tommy. All's good. Six games under our belts, Paddy, you could say. Are you feeling championship ready? Uh, looking forward to it, yeah. It's, it's been, I think it's really good over the last five or six weeks. Lots of learnings for lots of teams from, from the National League. I know we, we probably touched it disappointing that there wasn't league finals across all the divisions, but um, but it's great. There's normally such a gap. Teams go back to their clubs and you're waiting six, seven weeks for a championship, but it, to come in this weekend and it's going to be straight knockout flat to the mat. It's going to be a really interesting first couple of weeks. Uh, some big games to get uh, to look forward to, definitely. You feeling undercooked, Andy? Are you are you good to go? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, played a, my first competitive game on Saturday. I tell you, I don't feel undercooked. I feel nice. like I feel like I've had a bit too much, to be honest. Define define competitive. <laughs> it was a challenge match. Like I'm sore from my knees to my ribcage, to be honest with you. And I I'd say I only covered about four k in the whole game, but it was um, yeah. It's, uh, I'm not undercooked, but uh, the championship is interesting. It definitely is. Um, like the North is going to take centre stage for a couple of weeks, I think, because uh, the competitive nature of it. But um, yeah, it'd be cool to see how the likes of Clare get on against Kerry and how we kind of move through the stages. And then when we all get to play the goalers and Roscommons in this world, how competitive Connacht is going to be after relegations and promotions and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting for a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the main focus is going to be how the main contenders are pushing through the championship and where we're going to go from there. 100%. So we had one game at the weekend. We had Derry and Offaly in the Division 3 League Final in Crow Park. It was great to see some fans back in Crow Park. I know Crow Park can feel empty sometimes uh, when there isn't a huge amount of people there. But the best thing about having the fans in Crow Park is that we got that reverse angle shot of Shane McGuigan's sideline point. Did you see that version? I'm sure you saw the version on Twitter that he curled over with the left foot. But did you see the version that uh, Cormac McIntyre took from the Cusick stand? Yeah, I've seen it. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It was amazing score, to be honest. I definitely wouldn't have had that. I don't know about you, Paddy, but I wouldn't have the legs to kick the ball. No. <laughs> so, Not a croaker, though. To do it with inside your foot, I'd be one of those books. I'd be, I'd be chopping it with outside the right foot, trying to belt it over. But ah, it was a lovely score. And Derry looked good, lads. Um, mm-hmm. You're down, you're done a goal there at the weekend. Gee, I'll tell you, if you're going into that game against Derry favourites, you're done a goal going into that game. You're kind of, you're, 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 you're thinking about it, you know? Yeah, like they've they've a nice team building there, Paddy. You know, Connor Glass is back. Like, just just looking at the few bits and pieces from the game that I saw, Derry were in control for a lot of it, but they probably they probably just kind of breezed through it a little bit. Offaly came back into it a bit more when Niall McNamee came on and he set up that goal. Um, but Derry were were in control for a lot of it. What sort of a, 
what sort of a team is Rory Gallagher team? Like what we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, himself and McGuinness were a serious duo on the sideline together. But you came up against or you come up or played under Rory Gallagher when you were uh, playing club football. How is he going to prepare his Derry boys against down or Donegal? I would say with Rory and just in terms of where Derry are at in the National League, we spoke on, on earlier pods. The way the structure of this season is, is that if teams got momentum through the National League, it just gives such a boost. You can see the energy in their play. And that's why you're nearly worried that for Afli go out this weekend and they're playing loud and Afli have won their three games to promote it. But like they were outclassed on Saturday. And Derry showed like Derry playing that, at that style and with that confidence, they could hold their own in Division 1, you'd say, really, from, from what you've seen so far. So Andy's right. They're going to go in there, four from four, they're promoted, they're on cloud nine. I imagine, look, I'd be amazed if Donegal don't beat down. I think down have been one of the, the few teams we touched on that probably haven't really progressed through the National League. But I'd love, love to see a Donegal-Derry game and see... It's a real reflection of, of where Derry are at because the progress they've made under Rory, and, and he, he he was a really really big influence. I have to say for, for myself with St Bridget's, he came down to Bridget's around 2002, and they won the senior championship for the first time in Bridget's history. He himself and his cousin Ramey were were unbelievable players at the time. But he came into the the underage section as a coach, and I, I was around 13, 12 or thirteen at the time. So you're really kind of you're looking to learn at that stage. And it was just a completely different style and different attitude to anything we'd seen before. He, he was so passionate about, about coaching, but it was kind of my first ever real experience of tactics. You know, you're 12, 13 years of age, you're just kind of playing. And he came down with this, like Andy touched on it, Northern philosophy of just innovation. How do we make things better? And it was just like, where is this guy getting this from? The style of play we had, we were a bit nasty. We were playing under 14 and under 15. And we had man markers and we were playing sweepers and we are doing all this. But it was just as a teenager, that, that's your first exposure to that type of mindset and an approach to Gaelic football, which before was very innocent. I don't know, maybe that's the way it should be as a kid. But I was looking to become a serious player. And he was just a perfect, perfect coach for me. Looked up to him, absolutely, because he was a big star down in the club. Like I say, Bridget's, despite being a really big club in Dublin, had never won the championship before. And he was a real catalyst there. Bridget's had a brilliant team. They won the Leinster Club Championship and then they lost to Tom Gale talked in the semi-final that year with all the O'Shea's and things like that. But he had a massive influence on me. And I remember... He could see that I had talent as well, and I would have, I would still would have spoke to him a lot after he after he left Bridges and he went. He obviously played with Cavan, and then he, he's been coaching. And I would have chatted to him after we played Donegal a couple of times, and he'd always kind of look out for me and how I was getting on, and just that side of thing. My game in terms of my positioning, what did I want to do? You know, was I going to be a link player? Was I going to be an out and out scorer? Had me practicing kick and freeze, and was never a free take. But he's like all of these things. He was, and I didn't realize it at the time, but he was building me up to get ready to play minor for Dublin, under twenty one for Dublin, ultimately senior for Dublin. And he said straight away from the first time he seen me, goes, "You can do that. You've the talent to, to play at that level." And you know, when you're a kid, you're very you're like, "Jesus, this guy thinks I'm a good player." You're on cloud nine. You kind of, "Jesus, tell me what else I need to do." Type thing. Uh, so, so he was. He was a massive, massive influence on me. But a lot of the, the underage teams, teams and brilliant. We were blessed to have him for those couple of years, but he was just a brilliant. His insight, the way he looked at the game, 
And I've never heard a bad word said about him from any players. I would have known a lot of Donegal boys that were down in DCU at the time when Rory was involved with Jim McGuinness. Uh, just a sound fella as well. You, you know what I mean? Like He could be very demanding as a coach and he could be very ruthless as a coach. But he was always a sound lad away from that as well. I, I got on very well and a bit of crack uh, with him as well. So I'm not surprised he's doing as well with, with Derry. Um, and the big thing, I think he has players at his disposal there. He has players. He wants to play an attacking style of play. So you see guys like Connor Glass and that athleticism. McGuigan, like we touched on it earlier when we were picking the teams of the league, he loves a forward that can shoot, that can score. And he has that in McGuigan. And they just have a lot of momentum. I, I think it's going to be so, so interesting. There has to be an upset. But you can't, the whole chapter can't just go and it's going to be Dublin, Kerry, Mayo, all these. There'll always be an upset. It might be as bad as last year with Cavan and Tip winning. But, yeah. but I think Derry, they're in a great position. Um, and I definitely look forward to keeping an eye out in that game. Like I, say, I think it's likely they'll play Donegal. I think Donegal will get over down pretty comfortably at the weekend. We better ring Rory Gallagher and tell, tell him that Paddy has predicted Donegal to win the Ulster. Yeah. Let <laughs> me give him a shout now. Can you, can you imagine Rory Gallagher's phone? I can just picture um, Connor, Connor Glass. He's looking at the phone. Jesus, I might answer this, you know. Rory, I'm thinking about coming home here. <laughs> I'd say you're just like, <laughs> oh, who's looking down over here? Do you know what? Did you see the photo of Glass? Yes. Jumping up, jumping up for the, the first ball. Like, just give him that athleticism. What it gives the fellas around the place. Rory Gallagher, like, seriously got this Derry team into serious shape. I would say it's the first time Derry look in serious shape. And it's taken two or three years to get there. They look in serious mm-hmm. shape. You add someone of that athleticism of glass who they've looked uh, since he was 14 and then the Australians come in taken away and he comes back. It's amazing. One worry I would have for Derry from, from the, the game against Offaly was the goal Offaly actually scored. Chrissy McKay gets really... You know, he gets really fixated on Keane Farr and he's your three. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't try to drop off and help out and mm. you know, he gets fixated on him on the 21. So you, you would worry about them like you can just picture Owen Bond running through and him getting fixated on McBrearty when you could save a goal and let McBrearty get the point. Do you know what I'm saying? You need to be kind of clinical in that. But away from that, there can be no negatives for, for Derry. And you heard Rory Gallagher's uh, interview afterwards. He has them boys where he wants them. He just goes... He said something like, and I'm not quoting him, but to paraphrase it, I suppose, he goes, John, we were greedy at times. Mm. The wrong option. And when you can say that about boys after them scoring 21 points, John, I'm saying, it's a good he, sign. Has, he, he has them humming there. Now, he can go back yeah. and say, lads, listen, we, we won and we won well and 21 to 1617, whatever it was. But look, if we're going to beat Johnny Gall and we're going to beat these top teams, if you take the wrong shot, you take the wrong shot, you take the wrong shot throughout the gap you know we don't get them chances so it's a lovely position for him to be in and what a gamble to take well it wasn't a gamble but what a game to take against Offaly and Crow Park so they're met up for two weeks three weeks and you can you can see that and I'm not surprised because he has that communication and that was always back he'll have those conversations with those players we're talking about Dublin last week and, and how they moved on through the levels and it was conversations and it was coaching and it was feedback and it was honest honest kind of feedback from between the players. Rory's always had that in his time with Bridges as a player and as a coach. He'll have those relationships. He, he gets on with his players. And like I say, he, he'll have no problem calling those guys out and they'll take that on board because like I say, they just have all of that momentum. And, and, and like someone like Conor Glass, it reminds me very much of when Marty Clark came back for down 
and the impact it like down out of absolutely nowhere. They got momentum and they got this standout player. Mm. And, and, and what that does, and the really, really great players, they have their own impact on the game, but they make their teammates around them better. It gives them confidence. It gives them a style of play. And, and Marty Clark was spectacular. Like down got to the All Ireland final, knocked out would, Kerry. Would you, Do you know what I mean? You can see the influence that the Glass can have on that team, and the feel good factor it can't be underestimated. I mean, short, such a short season, like we touched on, having that momentum and that kind of energy in your play, it could have such an impact in a season like like the way this one's structured. I have a couple of questions now after after all that because there's a lot in it. Would you have admired, I know rivals on the pitch, but would you have admired a footballer like Marty Clark in 2010? Would you would you have looked at a fellow like that while you're still playing? hundred um, percent. He was he was nearly like a carbon copy here in McDonald. Um, when he played, he used to run around like he did something very, very peculiar in football because when you're an inside forward or you're he wore he wore 15, but Don basically played four fellas across the middle with Coulter was it Hughes, Clark, and was it... Mark Poland? Mark Poland, yeah. They were the four across the, across the 45. But he used to run after the player with the ball. Like, and I remember looking at him thinking, what is he doing? Like, he would literally, you'd be running, he'd be behind you, you get into trouble, you ship it back to him, he kicks the next ball. He was nearly like a little scrum half, and he was, ah, he was class, that's... Like, you're like, what have Down done since... And what did they do before? He right. literally revolutionised the whole thing. I'd say similar to similar to Galler. I'd say uh, James James McCartan when he got that phone call, Marty Clark's come yeah. home. He was like, right, okay, who do we need in here? What do we need to do? And then you've Benny Coulter getting his All Star at the end of the year, John, and they love him. Like we lucky to be on a tour with him before, and like he, he's a really good character, nice fella. And it's like just echo what Paddy said about class. Everyone mm-hmm. around them gets better. Do you know, and um, Joe, everyone around me gets better, and it's amazing. Hughes gets his all star that year. What a player, Joe! You know? But they yeah. all came good once, once Clark came, came home, do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on Connor Glass, like we'll come back to it a little later, we're going to be talking about underage prodigies and, and one man in particular, Michael Murphy, in a wee while. But like, I don't know if, like, the, the Hogan Cup, I don't know if it was a big thing in your schools, lads. Like in 80s, would, would, would the Hogan Cup have been a. We were, be, we were B. Yeah, we were B. Um, okay. I remember we thought we were deadly, like we won the B. We actually won the race. He's totally out of character for you, Andy. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, however, we actually uh, we won the B all out of we, we However, Jono managed to do, we got injured in the A as well. Okay. Jarlitz came down into town. Jarlitz came down into town. Mort was on the, Mort was on the, uh, on the team, you know, hanging. He'd look at us. <laughs> you know, and he, he was on the team and, the, the place was full. Balladrine's pitch was full. It was a horrible day. We got absolutely hockey. The difference between the A and the B competition <laughs> was just unbelievable. But that 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 Jarvis team was unreal. And they, they, I think Navin, Navin won it that year. Pat's, Pat's won it that year. Okay. Um, yeah, because Connor Glass, just McCrory Cup. Like I, I went to a tiny school in Monaghan. They didn't play any football at that level. It was a weak Wales school. But I, you used to always have an eye on the Hogan Cup and the McCrory Cup up there. And Connor mm. Glass was a freak underage. He was just unbelievable. Another man who was like that at underage level was Caelan Mooney. Like when he, I don't know yeah. if you he, he were aware of him at that age, but like there's a photo of Caelan Mooney playing Hogan Cup football. He's 16 and he's catching a ball. I'll dig it out. He's catching a ball above Lad's knees. And like, <laughs> you see that in the AFL, above Lad's shoulders, like his knees are up above the shoulders. Like, so yeah, footballers like they that. Played just... Jirds, they played St. Jerds in the final, actually. Uh, I think Killian was playing and... Uh, they put a hundred and ten, like a hundred meter hurler on him, who like he was a sprinter. Like right. <laughs> he couldn't get close. He couldn't get close to Mooney. Mooney was just flying past everyone. But uh, he's yeah. brilliant. 
Yeah, he was. Just on the league finals, Andy Moran's moan of the week last week was that we didn't have Dublin Kerry to look forward to. And the GAA missed a trick because there wasn't really any big Euros games on. The golf was good. There was a Camogie League finals later that evening. But it would have been great to have Dublin and Kerry and Crow Park to look forward to. We're not going to moan again, Andy. But what we are going to do is read out an email that we got in from Blue Pete. Hi, love the pod. Best one about. Just after watching back the 2013 semi between the Dubs and Kerry. Could you ask Paddy if he knew he was playing in a special match? All my years going to matches and that was out there. Totally breathless. Oh, and does Andy get much stick for showing the ears to the hill? Thanks a mil. Keep the show going. It's brilliant. Pete. <laughs> Thanks a million, Pete. Two good questions. Andy, I'll come back to you in a minute. Paddy Andrews, 2013 yeah. All-Ireland semi-final. Are you aware of it in the moments that you're playing in one of the games of the decade? Honestly, no. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Um, the game, I, I hadn't actually seen this game back at all. I remember the, the feedback and it's, it's a common one when, when you're talking about, particularly when you retire and you're looking back on games and people would say that was a special game and obviously a couple of the big games against Mayo. But I actually, when you sent me on that email and I had a look back at the highlights of it and it is, it was incredible to look back just like eight years ago now, the style of play both teams played. Like this, this was Jim's first year with Dublin and we we were playing all out attack. The, the kind of the composure that we speak about that Dublin have now wasn't there. We were we were very much it was the start of, of a journey for that Dublin team. But but when you're in a game like that, you're not really thinking about it. I, I remember our, our thoughts going in. We beaten Kerry in 2011 and won the All Ireland. So that was that was a big kind of monkey off the guy's back. So. Even though we got a bad start, I mean, Kerry scored three goals in the first half, and some of the scores, like Gooch was, Gooch was electric. I remember Dunica Walsh kind of was giving Jack McCaffrey a tough go. It was Jack's first year on the team, and James O'Donoghue was. I think James O'Donoghue, he got his All Star that year, and then was Player of the Year the following year, and they still had Declan O'Sullivan and Gooch. So Kerry, this was like stacked. Some of their, mm. it was a phenomenal Kerry team, and they were just humming in the first half. And even though we can see that those goals, we were. I, I, we were just very calm. I remember, and maybe this was Jim's kind of aura that we were getting used to it at this stage, but we, we were just totally confident going into the game that we'd have the athleticism that we could get at Kerry. We backed our forwards to kind of cause trouble for their backs. It would be a very similar attitude that maybe Dublin would have now playing Kerry that you feel you could get at their backs um, and, and we might have the athleticism, the edge there. And I'm watching back the highlights there earlier on. It's funny, and I, the one thing I do remember from this game, I remember Kevin's goal, obviously, at the end, but it was the best atmosphere I'd ever played in. And, and even now, in the, the seven or eight years after that, when McMenamum scores that goal, I'd never felt Crow Park like that before. It was like absolutely, the ground was shaking. It was unbelievable. And even I was watching it back, it was goosebumps looking at, at Kev's goal. And I remember at the time, I was absolutely wrecked. I was playing out around the half forward line. So I don't know what I was doing out there for the second half. But um, I was knackered. And Declan O'Sullivan gets the ball kind of on top of the D on his left foot. I think it's 69 minutes. And, and that's put Kerry ahead. And I remember, I assumed he'd scored it, as, as did everyone. Was Declan, so he just doesn't miss him there for whatever reason. He just pulled it. Raises the post. No, I, I don't know. It's, it's very close. He missed okay. it on, on, on the near side. But when he kicks it, you think it's over. Kerry thought it was over. Everyone thought it was over. He misses it. And we kind of breathe because that would have put them ahead. Cluxton takes the kick out and McCauley gets the touch from that play. And Can I pause That you? was it. That was the... Can I pause yeah. you right there? That kick out. So Declan Sullivan misses that chance to put Kerry one point up, as you've said. 
Cluxton, it's not a pinpoint kick out. It's nearly a raffle. And in that moment, whoever wins that ball is winning that match. Yeah. And like, I think it's Mark O'Shea slightly overcommits. And I don't know whether he would have done that if O'Sullivan's point had gone over the bar. He might have gone, let's just see where this break goes. But O'Shea overcommits and McCauley just gets the paw in on it. Now, can you confirm once and for all? Because I've asked Kevin McMenamin just a few times. <laughs> did he mean it? No. I think he meant it. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> I don't think so. Uh, we've had it with Kev as well. I don't care. <laughs> it went in. I'll tell you exactly. I was over on the far sideline. He was marked on Tomas O'Shea at the time. And McCauley got the touch. And Kev was in. I think Dean Rock was running with him and uh, O'Gar was running with him. And I was roaring, roaring at the top of my voice, kick it over the bar. Just take the point. Because it was that the game was so, it was nip and tuck for the entire day. And it was the clock was going into the red. And it was just, please just kick this ball over the bar. But I was never happy when it went into the net. And like I say, when that ball went in, I, I'll never forget that that feeling. It was That was probably the one moment where like we were quite good. And, and Andy, you'll notice, when you're playing the game, the crowd doesn't really have an impact. Whether there's 30,000 there or, or it's progress full, you kind of just get used to blocking it out. But when that ball went in, it was just, it was an incredible moment. And we yeah. had another goal after that. But but it was, at the time during the game, it was just, it was so nip and tuck. The game was so frantic. And it was, it's, it's comparing it to Dublin games now where it's, it's very controlled. And like we touched on it last with Dublin or keeping the ball and the last five or six minutes we kicked the ball away about eight times yeah. <laughs> Bastic and Dermo was kicking long ones and you're going and looking back now you're going what are we doing there just keep the bloody ball but that was the like I said, that was the journey the team had to go on to and we, look we learned against Donegal the following year when we lost a semi-final which was which was another classic but it didn't go our way but yeah, but that, it was just pure football it was just two teams all out attack no sweepers it was a carry team you know, pride. They had some amazing players. Gooch was at his peak and, and he was just a joy to kind of watch. And then Dublin, the, our style of play under Jim was like it was. The, the first year was like Harlem Globetrotters. Just was, everyone, everyone attacked from everywhere. It was a beautiful time in Gaelic football because you'd had Toronto 8, Kerry 9, Cork 10, Dublin 11, Donegal 12. Mm. Thir- like you had five All-Ireland winners in, and they were all still competitive. Like I, I actually watched back a bit of Tyrone Mayo as well earlier on today, Andy, just because we were going to be talking about this. And it was nearly like you had Tomas O'Shea on the pitch and you had Jack McCaffrey, two iconic wing backs. They were just meeting there. It was Tomas's last year and it was Jack's first year. You kind of had the, you had Stephen O'Neill playing in your game and Kieran O'Connor was asserting himself. You know, there, there was nearly like two generations were mixing in around 2013 where it was probably peak carrier just beyond their peak and Dublin just hadn't hit their peak yet in that game as well. Everyone, if you're listening in, go watch back that 20-minute highlights package and just look at Jim Gavin's face in the 69th minute when Kevin McMinniman's <laughs> goal goes in. The whole stadium is like in absolute uproar, like whether you're in despair or elation and Jim's just sitting there. It's like it's part of the plan. Remarkable. Andy, were you in the stadium that day? You guys had obviously qualified for the All-Ireland final the previous week. No, we were, I was at home. Um, I'll never forget it. It was, it was an amazing game. Uh, we obviously beat the Dubs in 12. So it wasn't one of those ones where you were like, Joe, sometimes you're wishing for a team. <laughs> we didn't really know which which one, Joe, which one would have been best to watch. But I remember watching the Gucci's performance in the first. And it is worth looking at though, uh, 
Paddy kind of alluded to some of the forward play lads that day was just like when Gooch steps back out into the pocket. Like I remember trying to practice this for about six months after I was nearly dislocated. <laughs> he steps back into the pocket. Ah, it's it's just he does it two or three times in the first half, and it's it's sensational football. Like and it, it's a pity because that was Gooch at centre forward. I think he did his cruciate the following February, the following St Paddy's Day, or yeah. the following, following February. And that's it. Like so, it's an awful pity we didn't get him there again for a while. But he uh, was amazing. The battle with Brogan and Marcus Shea. John mentioned Declan Sullivan, McMenon, the impact he had around that time. McCauley was sensational. Like I remember seeing McCauley. He came down and played us in an opening of a pitch in Hollymount, right? And he was doing this basketball stuff, and we were looking <laughs> at him thinking, "This book is mad." Like you know, but in the space of about eighteen months, twenty-four months, Paddy, he was just. The freak. I'll tell you a great game. Watch McCauley. The, the 2012 game, we had Dublin. Not ha- you wouldn't say we'd hammered at halftime, but we were well ahead at halftime. Mm. McCauley in the second half, lads, is literally sensational. We couldn't get the ball out by him. Like, it was all long kickouts at the time. And mm. every time we kicked the ball, he, he was catching it. Do you remember it, Paddy? He was sensational. Yeah, but he, he, won, he won player of the year in 2013. In 2013. But in in that- 2013, he won player of the year. Yeah. And... It, it was funny because, and he'll admit this, like the technical side of things was not as, was never as great as was was strongest point for him. But what he did, like Pat Gilroy brought him in, and Pat kind of gave him confidence that mm. he, he should be here. You're good enough to play here, and gave him kind of a leadership role and responsibility. And particularly around the, the style we were playing under Jim at that time, like I say, it was all action. It was all, and he was the epitome of mm. that. Our game and our style and our game plan suited his strengths. And, and, and like he was peak physical condition. <laughs> you know, was be- his age probably, I think he was 27, 28 at the yeah. time. And just the way he played, yeah. he'd get the ball and he'd just go. from mm. If he gets the ball at, at the half-back line and he'd go, and when he goes, then Jack McCarthy, which is, I need to go with him. And James McCarthy goes with him. And all of a sudden, he's like the Pied Piper. And every <laughs> Dublin are just attacking in, 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 in a flow. And, and you'll see in that second half, and it was, it was funny because Bastic came on at midfield because we were kind of struggling around midfield in the first half. And we reel off five points in a row. We were four points down and then we go a point up. And this is where... You, you really came into the game there. Kerry go four points clear and it's 42, 43 minutes on the clock. Yeah. You really... You start getting on a bit of ball. What changed for you? Because not that you were quiet in the first half, but... When you're, I had to pause the highlights a few times because I wanted to see where your positions were in the pitch. Yeah. And Dermo was swinging over points from 45 yards, and you were available off him. Or Brogan kicked four or five points from play. You were always an option, but you started getting on the ball in the second half. Yeah, we went centre forward in the second half. Okay. So we're playing inside. We, we, we weren't great in the first half. You know, Kerry got the three goals. Obviously, we got a goal off Mannion. Like, look, Mannion gets one off. Dermo's going for a point, and that kind of gets us back into the game and kind of settles us down because it was. It was it was potentially getting away from us. You know, we were struggling at the back. So Gooch was kind of running the show. So we made a couple of tweaks. Keane O'Sullivan went back on Gooch in the second half because Keane was playing at midfield at the time. He brought on Bastic. And we just started getting a handle around, like Andy saying, the kickouts were kind of just all up the middle. <laughs> you know, it was, it, you needed to, to get a platform there. And Bastic and McCauley were doing that. And then I was just getting on, on the ball at, at 11 and trying to do what Gooch was doing, just trying to hit one bounce passes into into Mannion and Berno like Berno Berno had a quiet championship up to that point he, he had a couple of knocks you know we, I don't think he, he didn't play well in the Leinster final he didn't score against Cork in the quarter final so 
he just arrived back, the big game. He's on Mark O'Shea, and I think he scored four or five points from play that day. So he's just going to get the ball into him. Mannion, it was Mannion's first year, and he was already a handful. He was kind of, he was getting at the Kerry full back line as well. So that Rock was comes it. off the bench, kicks two. Dino comes scores. on and, and kicks a couple of points. So that kind of middle third, like the Keane starts getting a handle around, around Gooch and, and kind of we're shutting Kerry down. They're not finding it as easy to get through. McCauley, was just his energy. And you can see the momentum. You can hear the crowd listening to it back now. We just got on a roll. And when Dublin got on a roll and Croker and the place was full, it was just, it was an incredible place to be. And that was it. And then I was kind of feeding up because I was at 11 and getting on lots more ball. But it, got to the point, Paddy, it got to the point where McCauley became such a fulcrum for the opposition that if you stopped him, you kind of, mm. so we we used to study him, but he, he he'd only he only had one sidestep, Paddy. He could only go one way. <laughs> and like if you got caught in the game after all the work we did on to stop him running, you were murdered in the video of the week after. Like you were absolutely so he used to ah oh, stop. She was a monster of a man, like and he just That's it. and away he went, you know. He's so hard to stop because like he had he's a big guy, a really big, strong guy, but he could move. Yeah. And like say he had that kind of the basketball <laughs> shimmy. And he was so unorthodox. <laughs> if you were a GA coach and if you were trying to analyze, he'd be like, oh, he's got to do this. And he, he wasn't from a GA background. He was a basketball player. So the coach Emmanuel kind of went out the window with him. <laughs> we didn't know what he was going to do half the time. <laughs> no, but that's why he was so his style of play, you know his personality, he was just infectious. And, and like say, at that time, that's how Dublin played. You know, Dublin now wouldn't suit Mick McCauley because everyone in the team wants to know what every other player is going to do. That's that's the part of the, of, of the beauty of their effectiveness. Whereas back then, I don't think, I think as a whole, GAA, you look at the tactical evolution mm. and kickouts and the press and, and, you know, keeping the ball, that's eight years ago now. And it, it's come along so much. But at that time, he was the perfect player, the heartbeat of that, of, of that team, the, the style we played just suited him. Like I said, that, that was a massive year. Like he got player, he was brilliant in the final against you guys as well. But uh, he'll forever be like that. Kevin's goal and that flick, that touch, that started. That yeah. started the whole thing. You yeah, know, if we don't win that game, Jim doesn't win All Ireland in his first year. You know, it, as big as twenty eleven was for, for Dublin GA as a whole in terms of getting the monkey off the back for Jim and for that group of players. That was like like I say, Jack and Kieran Kenny and these guys. It was my first All Ireland. That, that winning that game, that, it was just a huge, huge moment for that team. And, and you've seen how, how that's gone on over the next seven or eight years, the success Dublin have had. Dermot Connolly wins man of the match that day. He obviously had a, an unbelievable game. Peter Keane actually presented him with the man of the match award that day, working for Super Value. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, did a, we did a classic game club on it. It was one of our first classic game clubs and we watched the back and off the ball and we did a podcast on it. So Peter Keane, yeah, presented it. Uh, last question on that one. You were obviously playing in 09 where Kerry got an unbelievable start, right? Similar enough to the to the 13 game, Kerry got an unbelievable start to get their goals. How did, why, can you give me any answer in terms of why you were able to stick with them? Because arguably in 2013, it's not as experienced a team as there was in 2009 in terms of miles on the road. We have to remember in, in 09, Dublin hadn't won anything at that time. That was Pat's first year. So there wasn't an All-Ireland all there. We played Tyrone the year before in the quarterfinal under Pillar Caffrey and we'd lost by 15 points. We were hammered. We never even got near an All-Ireland final. So it was a very different... We're talking about coaches last week and the evolution teams go on. It takes those kind of hard defeats. We're, we just weren't ready at that time. Like yeah. Whatever about Kerry yeah. in 13, 2009 was 
peak Kerry. Ty Kennedy was playing. Yes. Galvin, Gooch. Yeah. The O'Shea, O'Shea was still there. That was arguably one of the best teams you'll ever see. And Dublin, we just weren't ready. Yeah. You know, me- mentally, we thought we were going to win that game. Kerry had struggled in the qualifiers. We just, the culture of the team, the, we hadn't done the hard yards. We hadn't kind of earned our stripes. Whereas the win in 2011 gave a lot of those guys, like Cluxton, Fitzsimons, Brogan, Flynn, Connolly, all of those mm-hmm. guys had beaten Kerry in 11. So when Kerry got the start, they scored three goals in the first 20 minutes and you're thinking, we could be under pressure here. There wasn't that sense of panic and there wasn't that sense of fear. Like some, and, and Jim's own nature as well, it was just, we'd be all right here. We made a couple of changes. And once we started to get the momentum, but we'd done, we'd, We'd done the hard yards. We'd won tough games before. We'd beaten Kerry before. So it was just a, a, a natural belief at that time. You know, whereas four years earlier, we hadn't passed any hard tests. Yeah. But we hadn't proven ourselves. And there was probably a bit of doubt in our, ourselves. There definitely was. The Kerry got the lead and we were thinking, we were thinking we're not good enough to get this back. Whereas 2013, guys, a lot of guys had won an All-Ireland title. We'd beaten them before. Jim kind of gave you that confidence. Was it calm at halftime in 2013? It was always calm. Every every game, whether winning, losing, whatever. Since even Donegal the following year, like we'd say, okay, what's the problems here? O'Donoghue's caused us a bit of trouble. We brought off Philly McMahon. We're struggling around the middle. Someone needs to get a hold of Gooch. Those are the changes, and then just go out. That was it. It was it was as calm as that. It was like, what's the problem? Identify it and change it. In fairness, and that, was, that was always the way. Seventeen minutes in, he pulled off Kevin O'Brien and brought in Philly. And like Philly had an unbelievable influence in that game. And I think Cooper moved around, and you mentioned Keenan Sullivan went back as well. Andy on the other side, Mayo had had an unbelievable win against Donegal in the quarterfinals. You went into the game against Tyrone, and that was an attritional game. Kieran O'Connor went off injured. Tom Kniff met Peter Hart in one of the most brutish shoulders. Uh, Hodge and Raj, they were calling that shoulder. For <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just a shuddering shoulder. The two boys were flattened. Stephen O'Neill went off injured that day. Mayo couldn't score in the first half. I don't know if you remember it, but there were shots all over. Chris Barrett was your top scorer in the first half. Yeah. And then the second half, you came out and you got to running them a couple of points after half time. How, how, how were you motoring in 2013? We were good, quite good. Like, there was only one aim, really. Do you know what I'm saying? After 12, like, we, we had a really like, quick rise. Like, we're, we got bet by Sligo, Longford, nearly got bet by London. Then all of a sudden, bet the All Ireland champions, and then all, all we thought, oh, we're close here. Do you know what I'm saying? We we bet the All Ireland champions in in he uh, hammered them in eleven, yeah. And then all of a sudden, okay, we said we could compete, so we went to twelve. So when Donegal bet us, it wasn't fatal by any matter of means. We just thought, oh, geez, we've arrived here. Do you know what I'm saying? We're ready to rock. So. Yeah. Um, so we went into to, to thirteen with great confidence. If I'm being honest, more so than that. And obviously, Killian goes off. No big panic. Alan Freeman takes over the freeze. Um, and we kind of always used to find of uh, find a solution. The final then against Dublin, Paddy's right. That first 20 minutes was the most insane game of football. Like the two teams went in at half time were out on their feet. Like there was no running in, there was no <laughs> back. Everyone was gone, like because Paddy said it, it was it was all out insanity. Like it was just mm. you know, and it was breakneck speed, and we'd done quite well. And, Joe, it just finished up that Dublin just churned us away. We didn't recognise that Rory Carroll had a head injury, you know, um, which we could have. It could have been a bit smarter. Oh, no, Gary, come on, just destructed everything. Look at Andrew's laughing the whole way. He, he tore his hamstring. He tore his hamstring. And, and, and no one realised. Ripped around eight fellas' heads off. He's monster. Oh, Gary did. 
Oh, yeah. O'Gara tore his hamstring for the last 15 minutes. And Mayo were still marking him. I think Keith was marking him. And it was like, they didn't realise he couldn't run. Yeah. And we were like, we'd used all our subs. So we couldn't bring anyone on. So Roy O'Carroll was, was under serious pressure. And Jesus, you look at it today, the, the head injury protocols and stuff like that. Yeah. But Roy was under pressure at the time. I don't think we even realised. O'Gara's hamstring was gone and Mayo were still marking him. We were like, Jesus, they, they could just leave him. He, can't, he couldn't, could hardly move. And that game, that was just a brutal, brutal game. And that, that was really, as much as, as, as Mayo beating Dublin in 12 was a big moment for Mayo and you guys getting to the all in the final. I think that game, the 13 final, what was the start of, of what would become that rivalry over, over the next number of years. That, that, that set the template. Every single game was the same. It was just mental. It was flat to the mat. It was physical. You were just going to be hanging together by the end of the game. And it was funny because both teams, I feel, at that time, looking back and now as you say it, it was the start, really, of, of both those teams. During Mayo, you probably had a year ahead of us. Uh, we get to the final in 12, Andy. But Dublin and, and you guys, you could kind of see that we were going to take over from, because p- p- prior to that, Kerry and Tyrone had been the two dominant teams. And they were kind of coming to the end of their cycle. And it was now James Horns, Mayo, and Jim Gavin's Dublin that were going to start and look, you didn't know it was going to be so prevalent over the next number of years. But that 13 final just set the template for, for every game for those four or five years after that. Tight, no inches given, and just could swing either way. And, and like I said, that day, like I said, if Mayo realised that we, we basically two players out, it could, it could have been a bit different, you know. Thank God. Thank God for us, it wasn't. You're listening to the Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and Andy Moran. Andy Moran, can I ask you a question? Can you tell us about the celebration? Paddy's my heart broke there about 2013, to be honest. Um, she's always a tough one. But anyway, it's, uh, there's, uh, there's no point denying that, is there? But no, it, 2013, the celebration, it was a funny one. Um, I came back from the cruise ship, definitely came back too early. He wasn't moving well, struggling. And then we, we played London, struggled through it, got through it. Kept picking me, played against Donny Gall, played okay, done okay, done a few good things. And I was just beginning to get a bit of speed back in the legs coming into the Tyrone semi-final. We were in Johnson House doing an Avers B game, but eight days out from the Tyrone game. And Michael Walsh, a hardy little boy from Ardenry, came through me, tweaked the hamstring. I was like, oh, no, man. This is not happening to me. So fitness tests, everything. We're up and played Tyrone. Shouldn't have been picked, really. Cahill McCarran, I think, mentioned it in the book shortly afterwards that he, he, he gave me a school and that day you said no one scored in the first half. I simply couldn't run. Shouldn't have been on the field. So I was really struggling with confidence. I, I, was, I was on my knees, to be honest. I was captain of the team and good friend and the psychologist at the time, Kieran Shannon, he writes there for the examiner. Uh, he's been on the show a few times, but he just goes, you're going to quiet in the hill. He said, this is, this is what's going to happen. He said, you're going to quiet in the hill. German Mars in 2002, wasn't great going into it, had a great final, this is the way it's going to happen. So all week long, I was visualising, looking, quite in the hill was the only thing in my head. <laughs> quite in the hill. Game started really well for me. I wouldn't say James probably expected me to even get to half time. And uh, all of a sudden the ball comes in, rounds crooks and into the net and unannounced to myself. I didn't even know I did it. Genuinely, didn't it? You, you know yourself. <laughs> no way. So, so I do this in, 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 uh, up to the hill and I'm like, didn't even know, just got on with the game. 
ball goes up the other end of the field next attack broke and puts it into the back of the- <laughs> and I was just like oh you're joking like, didn't even- and afterwards I met Jenny and I met the guys after the game and she goes oh you're getting some abuse on Twitter here she goes, she goes I said for what sure I didn't I honestly I swear to God I didn't know but it-, it was a good lesson for me actually because the power of that kind of thinking visualising writing it down what am I going to do had it in my head all week I'm going to score a goal into Hill 16 and it was just uh it was amazing then the way it worked out. And I, I remember when I retired last year or two years ago in 2019, I told you this one, don't Vincent's last. Sure, I never thought about this since. We did the podcast with Off the Ball. Oh, the abuse lads. There was two 50-year-old men sitting in the front and they were giving me abuse. So I was like, what are they on about? <laughs> <laughs> what a brilliant... Well, what kind of shit? Like, just, like, what like were they saying? The story. I don't know, they were just, they were like, oh, show us three years. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> leave me alone. You know, so the, ah, the crack was brilliant, but it was uh, well, the funny one, you know, but it does, it just shows that there's uh, a bit of thinking in it. I didn't, I didn't know, unawares to myself altogether. You know? I, I want to come back to celebration in a second. The visualization element of that, you obviously used that again throughout your career, did you? Oh, that was the biggest thing for me, Tommy. When, mm-hmm. when I was like, it, it's the whole thinking as a forward, like as a forward, you're always thinking you lose the ball, what's happening next? Joe, you lose the second ball, you're under pressure. And if you can get into the habit of like saying, I used to do worst case scenarios. So worst case scenarios, Billy McMahon wins the ball, bombs up the pitch and kicks the ball over the bar. First one of the game, you're like, oh no. And you're like, if you can just solve it for yourself and say, right, if this happens, what do I do next? Where do I go next? How do I win the next ball? If he wins this, Joe, and you just have it all kind of mapped out in your head. And as I got older and wiser to this, the way it works, that like you use your physical attributes so much in your early part of your career, but like when the legs start going, you have to start using your head and you can just move. Paddy, you did the same. I know you did. You mm. just move around the place and you, you have little tricks and little traits and you think about them all week. What am I going to do? And it just absolutely killed the nerves for me, to be honest. It, it was a big, that was a very important piece of your preparation. Mm. That that. I, you'd always go in. I remember earlier on in my, my career, a guy came into us and we we're kind of chatting about, kind of like psychologists, like, why are you not playing well or why are you playing well? And one of the first things he asked because, well, what are you really good at? And I couldn't tell him. I'd never thought, I was like, oh, wait, oh, geez, I don't know. And he's like, you should know, you should visualize a brief, what are you going to bring to the table? What's your best version of, of Paddy Andrews? And it just got me thinking, okay, what am I really good at? What positions on the pitch do I need to take up? Where can I be most effective? And it's just, like you say, when you're younger and you all the athleticism and things like that, you just kind of go out and you really wing it to an extent. Whereas the, the older you get or the more mature you get, or just nowadays, the, the preparation and the, the insight that you, that you put into your performance and things like that. I'd be very similar to Andy. There would have been certain areas on the pitch where I, I would try to get to that I know if I get the ball here, I can score from here. This is an area where I like to shoot from. There's an area here where I, I'm not really comfortable shooting with. And when you, you prepare it and you visualise it and like, so you get experience of doing it and training and in games, it then just becomes second age. You're not really thinking on the pitch because you, you, you've done it all already. And, and it, if you have to think about that on the pitch all the time, you're taking an extra touch, you're taking an extra solo, you're doubting yourself. There's no time to do that. Particularly in Dublin and Mayo games, there was no time to do anything. You had to get the ball and you need to know exactly I'm shooting here. Or I'm shifting this on, and there was there was definitely I was the, the exact same. There was areas on the pitch or or places I'd run to where I know if I get the ball here, this is a score. I'm shooting here. I used to always like him. 
and what would nearly be the wrong side for a right-footed kicker, but but that's where I was always happy. I know Paul Flynn was very similar. He used to score loads of points from the same, the right side of the goal, and that was for just practice. And if I got the ball there, I knew straight away I'm shooting here. And it's just, that, that was the visual. It was just your preparation um, because it saves you time on the pitch that you're just not going to have at the highest level. The championship is kicking off this weekend, lads, the football. On Saturday, we've got Sligo Mayo in Markovic Park. We've got Kerry Clare in Fitzgerald Stadium. We've got Limerick Waterford in the LIT Gaelic Grounds as well on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we've got Down Donegal. And in the Leinster Championship, we've got Offaly versus Loud that we mentioned earlier, Carlo Longford and Wicklow against Wexford. I want to start off talking about possibly two teams rolled into one here. With Killian gone, this is the question we have in an Instagram. With Killian potentially gone, are Mayo just another team? Just like Donegal without Murphy, are they going from contenders to a county who could struggle to get out of their own province? It was always going to be a struggle. Um, like it, it, it's always like over the last couple of years, Connacht has been really difficult. The biggest benefit to teams I played on is that if you lost, you the back door, so you you could still go. So it's good to that's good that game. Whoever comes between Roscommon and Galway, I mean Mayo on the far side, that is going to be a 50-50 game. And that's not just saying it, that's going to be a 50-50 game with Killian gone, particularly more 50-50 because he is. The at times in like so Killian was always important he was probably the major driver for us himself and Aidan probably the major driver for us from going from like where we were to getting to the level we got to so now though more than ever he's the man on the team like like let's not dress it up he sets the as Paddy has said it many times he sets the press he out of the 15 points we scored last year in the Ireland final Killian scores 9 he and, and like two from play. I hate the way that marks aren't giving us play because they should be from play if they're going to be like you know. So you've basically four from play, two marks, two from play, and two frees out of his nine that he or the other five that he won himself. So that's six points out of his own nine that he creates himself. So he's so huge to that team. He's so huge to the younger fellas. Um, I think it was Gooch who said it. He goes, "When did you know you were a good forward?" Or something around this element is when I knew I didn't have to run. Like, so when the best option wasn't just to run for the ball, ball headed out for the run. And I really believe O'Connor Killian is in that mode. He was in that mode for the last uh, 15 months from now. He came back from lockdown one, absolutely injury-free for the first time in about four years. And everything revolved around him in that team. And so are the contenders... um, Oh, we're, we're definitely still in it but like if you're looking at us between Kerry and Dublin we're going to struggle without him there's no doubt about us and um, then if you're going the other side of us uh, do I think we'll still win Connacht I do uh, bold shout but I do think we'll still win Connacht Murphy uh, without I think Murphy will play minutes this weekend but what a player and uh, Johnny Gall will beat down and I think their first big test is going to come the week after Yeah um, Paddy you spoke last week about Killian O'Connor and how difficult he was to play against. Um, you also actually played with Michael Murphy at underage level. And I know we all kind of had a look at the Declan Bogue piece in the Irish Examiner on Monday this week, talking about Murphy and I suppose what he's become in Donegal. Like he sponsors the club championship. He's the captain, <laughs> he's the, the longest service captain in the, in the, in the country. Uh, you know, an unbelievable fella and a leader on a football pitch as well. Somebody can do anything on a pitch. When you were in that international rules under-17 squad, and I'm actually fascinated with that because I always love looking at those teams and who were on them and lads who were able to fulfil their potential and maybe some who didn't. When you were on that team, was it 2007? Was I right in 2007? 2006. 
2006? 2006, yeah. Like, was there worried about Murphy at the time? Like, you were all at a fairly similar standard at that age. It's funny. My record, it wasn't really, no. I remember the two, with three kind of major stars on that team. One was Pierce Handley. You'd say he's fairly fulfilled his potential now, just not for Mayo, but but he was he was amazing. He was spectacular. Shane O'Rourke from Mead was, was the next big guy. I think at the time, a lot of the Aussie clubs were trying to sign him. He was, you know, Shane, he was six foot two, six foot three. Such an elegant player. You know, he got all the skills. He kicked the sideline in the first test match down there that we drew. Like, to be honest, Shane O'Rourke and Pierce Handley were the two guys that, that were the biggest news. And, and Murphy wasn't at the time. Gary Brennan was on that team as well. Same story. They were all obviously really good players. This was the best kind of 20, I think 22 players went, minor players in Ireland at the time. And you went to Australia. I didn't and actually realise that. I yeah, didn't three, realize that. Three that weeks in class. Australia over Easter, Easter holidays. It wasn't great preparation for the league and stuff, but sure, we <laughs> oh, managed that right. <laughs> you were we going to see you. You didn't uh, care, man. You didn't yeah, care. Yeah, you you laugh. You laugh. Uh, Noel Moyna was the coach. <laughs> Noel Moyna was the coach of this team. And, uh, DCU launched that year the direct entry system. So I think it was the first college in Ireland that you didn't actually have to get your points in the league and to get in. So the lads were all, the, the, remember the they all got picked and oh, telling the parents we bring all the books over for study and the lad, they went surfing swimming and then we trained and that was it because everyone thought we were going to DCU the next the next one we hardly have to sit to leave and surf never mind uh, never mind study for it but um, but it's funny we, we arrived in for freshers training the next year and we played our first freshers match it's basically the Ireland team we won by about 60 <laughs> points so, so mine have played a stormer for us uh, uh, that year but, but no it's funny Murphy he wasn't at the time. He was, and, and, and you know, there's certain guys like you're talking about Connor Glass and things like that. Yes, where from like twelve, you can say this guy is going to be an absolute superstar. But but at that particular time, my recollection was O'Rourke and, and Hanley were the two guys. And if you look at to where he's got to now, I, he's had the best in terms of an overall player. He's had the best career that everyone on that team. He's been absolutely spectacular for what what he's done and what he's still doing. And, and I think it's incredible. He's actually getting better. He's, he strikes me as if he's getting better. He, he's every bit as athletic now as he was 10 years ago. And his leadership, I, I got to know him a lot better when, it, when he came down to DCU. And I, I, he's, he's just an absolutely sound bloke. Go crack. And, and I think the beauty of it as well, and you'll notice, Andy, certain players, if they're really good and, and they're, they're leaders and things like that, they can be very serious and they can be dour around the place. And, you know, they might be the best company at times, you know, they're, they're so focused on the grain. But Murphy was able to balance that, that he was just a great fella to be around. But also when you're training and when you're out on the pitch, he's just someone you want on your team. And what he's done for Donegal over the past what, 12 years now is incredible. You're talking about where where they will get to if he's not there. And the same with Mayo, with, with Killian. There's no getting away from it. Neither of those teams are going to win the All-Ireland without those two players. And if you're being serious about it, Mayo are there. Mayo are looking to win the All-Ireland. You know, the Connacht Championship is not going to suffice for, for James Horn or, or for those players in terms of, of mentally what, what they want to get out of the season. Declan Bonner, we've been talking about Donegal. He's in, I think this is his fourth year in charge there now. Murphy's won All-Ireland. He, you know, if there's a guy that deserves more than that, if, you know, their goal, Donegal... One's not goal, bad, though. One's take, not bad. But, 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 take, but, take it, Patrick. <laughs> I take it, but, 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 but you know what I mean? Donegal and Mayo, these are teams that are around the block. They're looking to win the honour. You know, an Ulster Championship is is not going to 
be sufficient for, for Donegal. But but if they're missing Murphy and, and his doesn't look as bad, it looks that like say he might get minutes this weekend. He's, I think it's four weeks he's been injured now with a hamstring. So so yeah. hopefully for their sake he is back. But they they cannot underestimate the importance of, of those two players as leaders and as well as just their obvious their, their skill levels, their scores. They're like a comfort blanket for the team. I always said it with, with, with Cluxton and the role he had with Dublin. If Cluxton was in goal for us, we just we'd be fine. We do we'd be grand no matter what the opposition did. Cluck goes back there, he'll figure it out. And, and you look at Mayo without Killian O'Connor in the forward line, it's just that they're nearly rudderless. Apart from the obvious scores, he's just a leader and, and, and he'll, like we touched on Marty Clark, makes the other players better around him. And Murphy does that for Donegal and has been doing it for the best part of 10 years. They're so, so crucial. Just, just on it, you mentioned one guy there, I have to mention him because he went from our club, Pierce. Like, I read in the article like they were looking for Murphy to play under 21 at 14. Yeah. Um, like Pierce played for us at 15 corner forward. We won the under 21 in, in Mayo. Um, ah, lads. Lads, what a player. <laughs> like, what a player. Like, I remember we were playing a championship game. He laid a fell out like he was 16, 17 years of age playing senior championship and this fella now was a hardy boy and he just lays him out like I was just like... <laughs> it was just... It was a ruthless individual sensational footballer like of the highest highest order and he was just right left foot could play 3, 6, 11, 14 any position he was just like what a loss to a club he, like he was a huge loss to us um, came back in Naughty won a county championship with us and actually had her back Mark Allen Dillon and McDonald for us on the year but he was um, I was just sensational, sensational we have a question we have a question here Andy um, it came in on Twitter a wee while ago and I was saving it for another day but I may as well throw it at you Damien Whelan, if Pierce Hanley was available at his peak, would Mayo have won Sam a hell of a player? Was there ever murmurings or rumours or talk that you'd get him in for a few months? Or was it just that his professional career was going so well that it just never worked out? Yeah, at the time when like when we were trying, like when management tried to get him back, like I remember Alan Costler, who used to play for Sligo and Mayo at the time. He was a, he was a good player, a great player as well. But he said, Andy, you don't realise like, when you're flying into Brisbane, like, he said, the first thing you see, he said, is a billboard of Pierce Hanley. Like he said, he's not coming home. Like, he can't come home, you know? So it kind of made it, um, it kind of made it real then, you know, that it, we'd never get him home. He's still only 32. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure about, but he's, he's just, um, no. You're just was, thinking, you're just thinking with your club manager hat on there, aren't you? I'm thinking for me home, man. I'm thinking for me home. I have to say he's, I still think he'd have something to offer. And that's a personal, personal base. And this personal yeah. bond there, obviously, I seen him, seen him growing up as a young kid, and uh, yeah. he grew off. And he was like the club, like not to make it a party political broadcast on behalf of Aladdin J, but we'd be so proud of him. Like you know, the, the, the town would be awful proud of what he's, what he's achieved. You have to remember what these young guys do. They go out to Australia at 18 years of age by themselves and make a professional career for themselves. It's just, it's amazing. So um, we'd have, we'd have a lot of, but we'd love to get him back. If you're listening to PRC, we're coming after you. Follow you, <laughs> boy. Yeah. I, I just added that we, he, he was in DCU for the year before before he went over. I remember playing on that team with him. It was just so natural. Like he, he reminded me very similar to, to Connolly with really? the Dermo with us. Oh, just right foot, left foot. And it's, some guys have practiced, you know, what foot is their weaker foot. Pierce was just, he was like a Rolls Royce. You know, we had all the technical ability. It just looks like hey, it just looks so easy to him. But then he did let us. He used to glide across the ground, and he was—you could say he was kind of 
nearly a skinny guy, but he was a strong and he just had power. And bear in mind, this is him. He was 17 years of age at the time. You know what I mean? When he went over and became a professional player with Brisbane and stuff like that, if he was back in playing in those Dublin Mayo games, Jesus, yeah, I'm glad he wasn't. For our sake, we'd had a handful with him, but uh, he was. He was a spectacular, spectacular player, even at that age. And, and he was, like I said, he was the standout guy more so than anyone else, really, on that uh, on that team that we were on. But you, you look at his household, um, his brother Andy, who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about SNC over in Florida, but he played for Ireland in that under 17 team two years before Pierce, and then Keen followed Pierce to Brisbane. So, you know, so to come from a house, Andrew Senior in the house, he would, uh, you were playing soccer, you were playing, you were playing Anthony that was going. So it's Donegal down this weekend. It's Sligo Mayo on Saturday. Um, Kerry Clare as well at Fitzgerald Stadium. So we were talking, we've all been impressed by, I suppose, Clare's performances in Division 2 that just fell short against Mayo in that semi-final in that promotion playoff. I think Colin Collins as Clare have come up against Kerry in six six championship occasions in the last eight years like you know they must have been looking on last year when they, they fell short against Tipperary and Tipperary went the whole way and they were scratching their heads did Clare have any shout against Kerry this weekend is there anything they can do with the way Kerry are motoring Paddy no I don't think so and, and I looked at that's that's the challenge for, for, for teams we touched on it last year like the back door and the Super 8's got ridiculed at times saying it favoured the bigger teams that it gave the bigger teams a second chance if they slipped up and things like that but also what it does it gives teams a chance to kind of build momentum like you're looking at in the Leinster Championship this weekend Offaly play Loud both have been promoted both Mahan is doing a great job with Offaly and Mickey Hart's there with Loud their seasons are over on Sunday and they don't have football they don't have inter-county football for the best part of seven months until the National League kicks off next season as well as Clare have done I, I I cannot see any way they're they're getting results down down in Fitzgerald Stadium, and that's the season down for them. You know what? What so much promise and the buzz and the momentum that they had, they fell up short against against Mayo. And I think the challenge is what you've seen in the first half was Mayo's street smarts and their experience being a, a, a Mayo essentially a Division One team. Their key players standing up. That was the difference. You could see Clare were. Clare were struggling in that first half, you know what I mean? And, and, and I just think the same issues, you know, their, their backs are going to be under serious pressure. The athleticism that Kerry have kind of landed on around the middle of the pitch in kind of their preparation of playing Dublin, I think that's going to hurt Clare at the weekend. Look, they'll be riled up for it. They know if their season's on the line for it. But, but I think for, for counties like that, the straight knockout this year, it's it's very hard for teams. It's just very difficult that, that you might not have another game for seven months despite all the work you've put in. But, I, I cannot see any, anything other than a carry win on, on Saturday night. In Clifford and O'Shea's first championship year, um, Andy, they, they faced Clare and they scored 32 points in 2018. Uh, Clare scored 10. Picking up on what Paddy's saying there, you were writing about the rootlessness of the carry forwards and we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks in the podcast. Do you think they're going to be chasing goals again? Oh, 100%. I think it's something that they're identifying. I think it's something that you're going to have to do to challenge Dublin in any way or form later on in the summer. So I think it's just something that, and then, like it's not something that they're going to put up as, I wouldn't say they have a KPI of scoring this amount of goals per 70 minutes or anything like that. I think it's just something, it's the mood they're in. Paddy will tell you that 2013, 2014, 2015 Dublin team, if there was a sniff of it, they were going for it. And yeah. it's that stage they are at in their, in their career. But yeah, I totally echo what Paddy is saying about the game. 
I think, again, we have to say what a wonderful job, not try to patronise the guys, but they've lost Gordon Kelly, they've lost Gary Brennan, and to be competing the way they're competing is absolutely amazing. And both them guys have played in 2018, so I just think it's going to be an uphill struggle for them come the weekend. We'll have plenty more to talk about next week once the games have uh, have kicked off, but I think we're going to move on now to my favourite part of the podcast. It's where the listeners do my job and they send in their questions and I'm just going to move my sheet down here a wee bit. So you're listening to the episode, it is episode seven, not, yeah, episode seven of the Football Pod with Paddy and Andy. Uh, if you're subscribed to us, fair play, thank you very much. You might give us a wee rating on iTunes. It does a, a serious bit of a good for us. Paddy Andrews is waiting until we're number one on the charts so he can put it up on his LinkedIn. So if you give us a rating, <laughs> that's how you get to number one. Every week he's asking, Come on. why aren't we number one yet? We've been four, we've been five, we've been up and down. But yeah, Paddy, that's it. We have to get more, a bit more ratings. So we'll we'll go looking for them. And uh, yeah, you can subscribe either on OTB GAA. And if you subscribe there, you're going to get all the other GA podcasts from Off The Ball. Or you can subscribe to the, the Football Pod feed with Paddy and Andy and you'll just get these episodes. And you can listen back to the first six episodes uh, if you're going on a long trip around the country because it'll take you probably from Dublin down to Kerry. So, Instagram questions. Andy, can I come to you first with this one? Go for it. Ronan Hurricane on Instagram. He's got a famous dad from the boar's head. <laughs> Does the working from home culture help the likes of Mayo? More lads living at home. Absolutely. Um, I think last year when, when when the championship restarted, an awful lot of them relocated, um, relocated to Mayo. Um, a couple of them with young kids. Uh, relocated, got got set up, and, and started working from home. Huge, huge benefit. I often thought during our time playing against Dublin that the huge advantage for Dublin essentially was the league more so than the championship. Because when the championship, like when the summer starts, and we get all the teachers back, all the students back, and everything from around the country every Wednesday or every Tuesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Friday, whenever you used to train, you have everyone a trainer bar maybe. Chris Barrett, Shami O'Shea. And then when it does get serious, they come down every week anyway. So during the league time, that's where we re, like we got a 15 in Dublin and 15 in Mayo. So you'd have to train the Mayo boys on Tuesday and the boys would be training in Dublin on Wednesday. So that's where the big difficulty was. The relocating from home is huge. Absolutely huge. The time you get to spend with the players, the time James Horne gets to spend with them, the, the video analysis sessions, meeting guys for a coffee, talking, chilling out, meeting your other teammates, just makes a huge difference and getting boys together. So come championship, we always felt like that we were, the unit was coming together. We mentioned Mayo's, I suppose, league campaigns over the, the course of the last few pods. And that was part of the reason we got better towards the end of the league as well, because then players, used to, we used to have a bus coming down from Dublin and everyone used to meet maybe Midlands or something like that, where we, where we used to all train together. So that was a big, you couldn't do that sustainably from the middle of January right mm. to September the boys would burn out so we used to time it in around March time maybe Paddy's day get everyone down there from then on you know Paddy did you realise how good you had it? That's uh, probably not no to be honest when you say that it was like from the first time we went back in, in January nobody missed training ever it was just like last 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 resort that one player would be missing for like like Jack would have missed a couple because he was on call with work and things like that but other than that we had our full panel there all the time and, and like we touched on it last week like your ba- we were very close as a team and that was probably part we spent so much time together like days we were training and a lot of guys are working in the city centre you'd meet for lunch on the days or not training just creates a bond there as well but also you're chatting away about 
she's watched like a training last night or preparing for a match that weekend. Like the time that we, we have together, like say from day one, we, we, like we'd always have your 40 guys at, at every single training session, guys go for a swim together the next day. And that just built up probably part of the reason why we were all so close and why we got on so well together over 10 years. Like say for nine or 10 months of the year, we're basically each other every single day, everyone in the group. So it definitely is an advantage, particularly like if you're talking that, like Andy saying there, you've only 15 guys training one night, 15 guys doing another night. It's very difficult to, to get tactical work done. You can get your physical stuff done, but if you're working on, on game plans and things like that or certain set plays and, and, and things like that, you need to have everyone there together. And um, yeah, of course, it, it, that's definitely an advantage for us that we always have those numbers there. The I always used to think of the Donegal lads going back in 2012 and the yes. back to training like there was a group of them in DCU that used to hop into the car and, and head up the road and I know they also got different kinds of transport at different times of the year when maybe the I think there was a helicopter involved at one stage Um, it, it can't be amazing for the hips to be you know training really hard and then getting back in the car and going up and down the road like that's got to have a bit of wear and tear in the body Andy would you have would you have known from talking to the lads or would you have seen it yourself the impact that the travel would have had? Oh, you would, of course, yeah. The Even the levels of training they could do. So if you play a championship or league match maybe in Bally Buffet and then that might be on the Sunday and you're playing the following Saturday, like your, your level of training after doing two hours in the car back to Dublin, two hours down, your level of training you can do then on a Wednesday night is absolutely curtailed. You know, the, the Conor Finns and Barry Solons of this world, where they were with us, would have been you know, minimising their training to about 40, 45 minutes, making sure everyone was sharp. You know, and so you couldn't do the full hour and a half with the boys. and so it just That, go, that must have been so frustrating though, after going down the road. It would have been, but like they'd have been there, like they'd have, they'd, they'd, you know, watching the train and getting the tactical analysis done. You know, it was important that they were there, but you, you would have to really monitor the training load. It's it's better, I suppose, you're asking what it would be like in the hips. It's better than a torn hamstring, you know. So they would, you know, so mm. they'd monitor everyone. Obviously, other people would react differently to mm. uh, to the travel. And then on top of that, then we'd have had a really good meal association in Dublin where they would have organised a bus for the lads to get down so none of them would have been essentially driving you know the okay. left work early got down the road maybe got a sleep in and stuff like that so it had been all monitored and really well kind of um, structured throughout the years you know Okay I, I can't believe Dublin get it all the stick about finances and you're talking about lads getting helicopters and buses down the train and Jesus Christ like <laughs> Well, this is the Jesus problem, Patrick. Christ. Young Patrick, this is the problem. You walked in the door. She don't have to pay any expenses. She don't uh, have to travel anywhere, man. I tell you, no Dublin player owns a helicopter. I can confirm. None of us have our own helicopter. Andy, you can take over here. Own helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, should the poor old county board of yours, Rob, paying expenses? The boys coming from Dublin. Well, genuinely though, that probably is the biggest thing for counties is the cost of players travelling to train and back and forth. Like that is, when you talk about Dublin's ability to use their funding in the way that they have to put it into GPOs and coaching officers at a, at a young age, they're able to dedicate those funds that way because I suppose they're not wasting it on hundreds of kilometres across the country, Andy. But the, 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 that argument is 100% there. There's no, no question about it. But and there is unbelievable advantage to Dublin. Of course, there is every like, like the so like everyone wants to live in Dublin. If you're a young fellow, you want to live in Dublin, so you're going to go there. The families have moved there, whatever. Okay, so all the advantages there, population and all that. But that doesn't take away about the way Dublin have used 
the resources. Okay, so like, yes, we all have to go and we've to, you know, we, we have to kind of use all our kind of immigrants all over the world to try to get finances in and all that sort of stuff. But we could still do that stuff better. There's absolutely no doubt about it. There's still ways we could use, uh, make it more attractive to go to the ITs and Galway and Sligo. Joe, so there is, and we are getting there. We definitely are moving in the right direction. Um, Joe, there is good jobs in the O. It needs to, you need to make it attractive for young fellas to stay around. So yes, I, I'm not being silly here. Of course, I see the advantages to Dublin, being in Dublin, having the level of finance, not having to spend on expenses. There's huge things there. But other counties can actually do it really well. And we could have done it better over the years as well. We've done it well, but we could have done it better over the years as well. Do you know, Mayo was a really big football and county, uh, really proud. You like you you seen the crowds were in New York when we were there in 2019. You couldn't get a ticket for the game. So there's people there that are willing to support us. We just need to harness that. And then when it does, when we do harness it, use it properly so that we're getting the right level of um contact hours with our players, underage development, our long-term long athlete development programme is strong and stuff like that. That's where Dublin have used that well. They've created the model. People just have to go and copy it now, do you know? We've room for one more question here, lads. Mickey Quinn has been in touch. Talking about lads who've played AFL and had the experience of playing over it. He was at the Essendon Bombers and he broke through and obviously playing with Longford in the Championship this weekend. Paddy, would you have any forward setups or runs that successfully deal with a sitting sweeper? Um, like one of the main rules you always would have had is, is that you try and occupy the sweeper. Like it, it, some players play it differently, and, and that's we touched on it. We would have identified, say, for example, if we're playing Tyrone, like we touched on the previous pods, Colin Cavanagh used to go and try and, and double team the man and, and try and if the ball was kicked out to the wing and I'd get the ball out to the wing, I know Rona McMahon is going to be all over him, but I know Colin Cavanagh is coming to, to try and bottle me up as well. so I don't think that's the right way to play as a sweeper. I, I think your, your job is to protect the centre channel and stop goals going in. But we would have used that to our advantage, just move the ball across the pitch as quickly as you can. Um, other sweepers like Keane, O'Sullivan would have been brilliant at it with Dublin and, and kind of mastered that role. And that was a big part of that. It's funny, I know we touched in the game earlier, that the Kerry game in 13, Gooch's passes in the first half, we would have analysed that a lot. And Keane would be able to tell you about this. Like We would have highlighted like if we're playing this week, you need to be there. Don't don't get dragged out to the ball. Don't get dragged or distracted by because if I'm a forward, I'm trying to distract the sweeper. I make it like I would have always made kind of out to the wing. You're hoping to bring your man and the sweeper with you, and that frees up the centre channel for our guys like Jack or or James McCarthy guys like that as well. So, so, so that's that's what seven, we always try to do. You know, in seventeen, say 16, 17, 18, were you still using that Kerry game in thirteen as an example for O'Sullivan, or did I pick you up wrong there? No, no, we would have just that. That would have been as Keane moved into that because Keane was playing midfield at the time for Dublin in that game. He switches back onto Gooch in the second half, but yeah. he then started playing centre back, and it would have been the Kerry game was an example that one kick pass essentially killed their defence twice straight through the middle. So we're going, yeah. how how has that happened? And then obviously the Donegal game of fourteen, where Donegal dragged us everywhere, and we had no structure there. So for, for me, the role of a sweeper is always just block the centre channel. Stop a goal shouldn't go in. Your job is to stop. Don't get distracted. Don't get dragged out to the wing. Don't get dragged out following the ball. Um, and if I'm a forward, then I'm trying. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to move him out of position to free up lanes for for your the guys like your Conor Callahan's or yeah. whoever it is in, on your team. So as a sweeper, you might seem like you're not doing a lot by sitting there, but that I would see that as being the main role of the sweeper. 
just stay and, there. Don't don't run everywhere. You he, know, he, was the best. he was the best I played against in that role, Paddy. He, because simply he used to mark his man, but then he used to mm-hmm. drop off. You were like, like he'd come from nowhere, he'd, he'd get in behind you, and you'd be like, you think you have the ball? <laughs> Joy, he was really good at. How's he doing that? Is he marking him to an extent and then handing him off? Yeah, so like, like in the 2017 final, for instance, like neither team played a sweeper as such, but both teams played a sweeper as such. Do you know what I mean? So Dublin didn't like play a sweeper. I'm not using Keane as an example here, I'm just using Dublin as an example. Donald Vaughan played for us at wing forward and dropped to a third mm-hmm. midfielder so they kind of had half a sweeper and we kind of had half a sweeper so it was kind of just and that's the way we played it Paddy I think both teams at the time yeah oh, 100% in that role between 2012 and 2019 just say when Keno Sullivan played that role he could literally drop off six so he'd mark a man to a certain extent McCarthy might pick up a Jeremy O'Connor say for instance or a Jason Doherty and Sullivan would just drop back into the space and he used to play really well I, I used to always find him as a very good reader of Zones and angles more so than anything else. But but it was great for us because a lot of teams at that time didn't play with six forwards against us. Pretty like sad. you guys and Kerry did. You played six forwards up, so we all our, all our six backs were occupied. They had to mark their man. Was lots of teams play against Dublin, and they play four or five lads back. They'd only play with two or three forwards up, and it was just easy. That that we could have two or three guys sitting there. Whereas the, the challenges we faced, and and by Mayo used to do well, and, and Kerry pushed Dublin. But, is your six backs were so preoccupied with marking six forwards who were dangerous. It's very hard to get sweepers back in there. Whereas like the Tyrone style of play was very different. Colin Cavanagh just sat there. Mm. You know, he didn't go on transitions. He was just there. Yeah. That's a, that, again, that's a completely different style to like exactly Andy's nail head. That's what Dublin and Mayo did. You'd, if you got a sweeper, it was a bonus, but it, yeah. you, you did it in transition. Someone wasn't just sitting there doing nothing. You know what I mean? So, uh, apart from the accidental trip, they used to pull the odd time, Andy, when you could. Is there anything else that would work on the, the sweeper? No, I think Paddy, Paddy mentioned the first key thing is that you need to occupy the person, but you can't occupy what an awful lot of teams do wrong is to leave one person up. So, if you have a sweeper, you can't occupy the sweeper by yourself. You need mm. two. So, you need, sorry, Paddy, I'll use it here if you don't mind, but mm. you often you said in one of the previous podcasts that you used to go for Bernard because you knew Bernard yeah. was going. He used to, what was your nickname? Wolf Go. We'll <laughs> get into that story again soon too. <laughs> Wolf Go. So you used to go occupy the sweeper and then Bernard then, there was only half a sweeper left for him then and then mm. he could work his magic then in between the, the 13 and 21, the tram lines, he could work his magic in between there. So it made a big difference. So you needed someone to go for you. But the other thing is just sometimes just stop. Stop running. Like if you run and there's a sweeper, you're just going to run out by him. So if you have to, so wait till the, be patient, wait till the ball gets to the right position and then make the run where the sweeper is back and back, he's back and back and then he's too close to you. You're basically only working work, work one man and then you can make your break. So for a young person out there, if there's a sweeper in front of you, so, like don't tell your managers I said this, but sometimes just stop running. Just stay hold your run, wait till it's in the right centre channel and then when you make your run, you make it with the right pace and you just go for it. But I think they're the best ways. I think people have really copped on to the sweeper system. Now You'll see, again, copied from you guys, Paddy, you'll see it being shaped around the, mm. uh, the, the, the three line as such or the, the, the big U and you, you just wait and it'll come. Do you know what I'm saying? And then you make your move in behind the, in behind the blind alley somewhere. It's that patience, exactly what you're saying there. I knew, from my own example, I, was, I didn't want the ball. I, I, did, I was making that run to get out of there and, and 
whoever was in behind me, that, that's the forwards working together as a unit. You can see Kerry are kind of getting the hang of that now. Clifford and Sean O'Shea. You can always tell when guys start getting easy scores. You go, how did they get that? That's the guys working together there. And and like I say, if one guy is staying, and that was always, we'd always had like Dean Rock could kind of do it now with Dublin or, or Burner would have done it. Well, then someone else needs to get out of there and, and kind of make those runs. So you need those guys working together. It'll be interesting to see this weekend because we're talking about traditional sweeper styles of play and they're, they're becoming probably more and more the funk now as teams try and play more attack and stuff. But Down are going to play that way against Donegal. Um, and that's why I, I, I don't think that system will work anymore but, but Down are going to play that way and you'll see Donegal's game plan um, Down have 12, 13 guys behind the ball Donegal's forwards will line up along the sidelines you'll see McBrearty you'll see Thompson over on the right hand touchline just standing there making no runs just waiting for Ryan McHugh to come through pop the ball back out they'll be really patient it'll be really good if you're a coach or a young player looking at the sweeper system and how to counteract it um, I think that will be a very interesting game. I don't think it's much interesting outside of that in that match, but uh, I think it'll be good learnings for for people looking at at how to kind of overcome that style of play because Donegal will be expecting it um, and are well used to playing against that style of play. So see their forward start positions on on Sunday in that game. Brilliant. Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the football, Andy. I'm not going to ask you for your moment of the week. I'm going to let you save it for next week and we can uh, uh, let you off. I'll give you a couple of minutes at the end of the podcast to have a moan as you'd like to do. Um, and I've already picked executive decision Shane McGuigan's sideline as our score of the week. But we have a question in here from Kaylon on Instagram. Lads, what's your favourite score from your respective inter-county careers? Andy, I'm going to go to you first. Tommy. Um, yeah, there's, there's one or two that kind of stick out. Um so do we have to have scored it? <laughs> I think, I, I think uh, that's the point, yeah. I, I was thinking Patrick Gardner scoring in 2009 against Cove was, uh, was a huge one. But I ah, know there was you know, the, the goal against Dublin in 2006 probably um, mm-hmm. was probably a highlight just because the game and was such crack, you know. But like there's, there's obviously obvious scores during your career that you, you liked the score itself, you know, points that you kicked. But Go on, give us one. Go on, give us a... No, there was a score against um, Kerry in the first game in the semi-final um, where it wasn't it wasn't that it was that good of a score. It was my reaction after the score. It was just, we were kind of, it, it just symbolised to me that we're, I was focused myself, but the team was focused. It was just scored and everyone just ran to their position. Like it, was, it was like nothing had happened. It was a, like a real intense game. It was level. Bang, the point goes over and you can just see... Killian going to his position, Jason Doherty going to his position. And it was just one of those ones where the focus was really high. And that had been kind of the year I thought and the uh, replay against Roscommon, the two games against Kerry and the game against Dublin, I would say, in my Mayo career, that was the best that team ever played. So it was 17, Kerry, Kerry first game, 17. Kerry first game, yeah. Okay. Paddy? Um, I didn't score half as much as Andy now, so my, my pool is a lot less. I think... I got one against Donegal. We, we played Donegal in the 16 quarter final in, in, in Crow Park. It was, the, it was obviously the re, rematch of the 2014 semi final. We lost the first time we played Donegal in the championship since that. So it was a big game for us. We were the All Ireland champions at the time. And uh, Rory was the coach of Donegal, and they were, they were well set up defensively. And I remember we actually played with seven forwards that day. So I wasn't really starting at that time. I, I had an injury, so I, I didn't start the, the, the previous game. So I got in because we were playing seven forwards. And Donegal, like you're talking about blanket defence, like that was 
after after the peak Donegal they were really difficult to to kind of create and get scores at that time but it was the first real test of our kind of patient style of play and we were going to beat the blanket defence and and that was was a a kind of key game for us remember I got a score out on the sideline uh, of the Cusick stand and I was running outside and Roy McHugh was there and I was going to get literally treble teamed there was like a trap that Paddy McGrath had set and I couldn't turn back because Roy McHugh was going to take the ball off me and I was like oh shit what so I literally I literally just you're talking about bad shots I swung the leg at it right from I was nearly in the third row the Cusick stand and I just kicked it I was like that's actually got a chance it was were you kicking into the hill into the hill or into the the hill yeah and it was as narrow a kick and I couldn't believe it actually went over the bar and I think Roy McHugh actually said something after as well (laughs) You lucky fucker, something along those lines. <laughs> and I and I seen it back, and it was it was definitely the best score I'd say he ever kicked. You scored one against somebody in the the day you scored five. Did you not score an unbelievable point that day in under the Cusick stands coming in? It was, it was similar a, to what you're saying. It was there. a similar one. It yeah. was. Kieran Kenny gave it back to me, and it, it shaved the inside of the near post and kind of nearly clipped the other post as well. And the same st- what year was that? That was fifty. It was. It was that game of fifteen. Okay, the final. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same story. If nothing else adds, I said, "Well, he's got to pull the trigger here, or the Holy Vaughn's got to come yeah, up." Yeah, I I'll tell you, I actually remember that because I was sitting on the bench. I remember sitting on the bench and thinking, "Oh, good play." And then you just kicked it. And I just remember, jeez, that was some fun. <laughs> I, I don't know how that just flashed into my head there, but I, I it was a surprise myself, Andy. Don't worry. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> great. Everyone was. Yeah. I want to go back and watch that point in 16 and I'm going to go look look back at that uh, that point against Kerry in, in 2017 as well. I actually can't remember the goal against Dublin in 06. I know, you, I know how important it was, but I can't remember it. Was it similar to the goal in 13 or what was it like? I was on the hill. I remember it. Yeah? yeah. And what, was your, yeah. what was your view of it? Yeah, I had a few beers in me at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> I was on hill 16 and yeah, Dublin were going to qualify for the All-Ireland final for the first time in 11 years and Hatter was playing, there. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Your man there pops up with the goal and, and turns the tide. So I remember it well. Yeah. Yeah, I came on. I came on at centre half back. Would you believe centre half back? <laughs> I came on. I remember Declan, Bo- Declan Bonner. Kevin Bonner. Kevin Bonner. Kevin Bonner. Yeah. Was there? He's your club, is he? Yeah, Bridget's Bridget's yeah. manager. Yeah. Right? Good player, right? And I remember coming on. He, he shook Jimmy Nallen's hand. I thought he was being disrespectful to Jimmy, but he wasn't in any way or form at all. <laughs> so I'm there, and I'm just. Uh, I'm walking around and I go up and I score and he does the same thing to me. Like the game is like this game is in a melter. Great game, Andy. He runs off and I'm like, Jesus, I like I mean take because I thought he was being but he was that was just the way he was. Like <laughs> the goal, like it was just I remember you could see that Dublin were just going narrow all the time from the and you could just, we we saw James Gilbert down on the sidelines, you know. And I just go. He said, Gilly, there's a goal on here. I said, I'm going up to these boys. So I ran up to John Morrison and I just got off. Morrison, I get a goal here if you put me on, right? Oh, <laughs> Copy little 21-year-old. Can you imagine how can you imagine how this has changed, Paddy, from our time, like 2006? So oh, I say to this, the two boys say, this book is daft enough probably to actually do this. So on I go. Goal. You can see me pointing out to the boys that I'm running back. And we win the- <laughs> <laughs> That's like bloody Oli Gunnar Solskjaer sitting there uh, on the bench. For sure. I did it about 10 times after we career at Liverpool. So I wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't get too excited about it. Give me a shot, coach. Put me in. <laughs> yeah, give me a shot. <laughs> I mean, I go, but it was, um, 
Ah, that day that was just sensational. Ah, that actually my favourite score was brilliant. Mm. Good crack. I think we need to dedicate a podcast to each of these games. I think we could, we, could, we could easily do that in the winter when the when the championship but, but is over. Like, I think the Dubs get a hard time. Uh, <laughs> everyone, everyone wants to play at the Dubs. Like, mm. like Kerry are not dreaming about being beating anybody else in all Ireland final. Mm. Beating the Dubs in front of eighty thousand people. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do as a kid. We failed to do it, um, unfortunately for us. But that's what you want to do. That sound that Paddy said there when Kevin McMenamin was oh. goal. Like, like we're we're finished now. You ne- there's nothing in your yeah. life that's replicating that ever again, all the time. So, listen, we need but, the crowds back. I, Andy, that, that's that's why you do it. Like, that is why you do it. Like, and, and we're talking about the last couple of weeks, sacrifice and all the hours and stuff you put in, and you know, kind of. There's lots of that where, where it is. It's tough going, but like I say, the opportunity moments like that, and it is just moments. Like I was fortunate to play for for twelve years, but. There's a couple of moments that stand out out of that. Uh, never mind that the hundreds and thousands of hours you would have put in training. Yeah. But that feeling of, of, of Kevin scoring that goal or, or you know, Khan scoring a goal at the start of the 17th final and, and the place just... You're right, the, the Dublin games, for us, like we play a lot of our games at Croker and, and sometimes there's 30,000 people, there's 40,000 people, there. it's... it's it's a dead atmosphere, but when it, when it's a full house and it's particularly like our games against Mayo because the colour that their fans brought to it as well and the atmosphere and just yeah it is you, you'll ne- you'll never get it back to special times that you got to experience it you know. I really enjoyed this episode, lads. Really enjoyed it. There's there's great stuff in it from the Michael Murphy stuff to the uh, the 2013 All Ireland semi final and and even your favourite scores there. It was really really enjoyable few minutes. So thanks for your time. Thanks to everyone for listening in to episode seven of the Football Pod with Paddy and Andy. We're going to be back next Wednesday. We'll be in between two big championship weekends. There'll be lots of football to talk to. So subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks for listening, Paddy. Thanks for chatting. See you later, lads. Cheers, Andy. See you later, guys. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Black box car insurance lets young drivers bounce past high-cost premiums. Drive safe and save more with GetSetGo.ie. Students of Ireland, looking for a mobile plan that's exactly what you need? Get an online exclusive that's extra. Switch to the Vodafone X plan now. And when you do, you'll get Xiaomi wireless earbuds and a smart band completely free when you top up. Plus, you'll get unlimited data and access to our Discover You online platform. All for just €20 every 28 days. X hits the spot. See Vodafone.ie forward slash switch X. Terms apply. €20 top up required. Max speeds 10 megabytes. Excludes Tesco 48 and Leica Mobile.